Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you have good in store for us. We thank you that you work all things for good. And we just ask, Lord, that you would have your way here now, that your spirit would touch hearts, touch our lives, and uh, just give me the wisdom and guidance in speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. How's everybody doing today? Okay? Doing well. All right. Well, everybody says that even when they're not doing well. So thank you for sparing us the sad stories. But God cares, and uh, we care for each other here, and it's all about our hearts. We were talking last week about being after God's own heart, because God has a heart for us. We want to be after God's own heart. And a lot of people will not respond to a message like that because they might say, well, what's in it for me? Well, that's a misconception. Everything's in it for you because you were created for a relationship with God. It's, it's a wonderful thing that God wants our hearts and not just our blind obedience, just our behavior, just to do the right things, our submission, uh, our appeasing him. And this is what you get with all the other religions out there. There's, I, I'm not aware of another world religion or philosophy that promotes a relationship, a loving relationship between a God who cares and we who care for his heart. So it's very important that we check our hearts. Today we're going to be talking about heart vigilance and how to get your heart in a position where you are more after God's heart. And you'll see the bass guitar on the stage here. I was going to play the bass this morning, but we couldn't get it together because of monitor stuff, and, and probably I need to practice some more. Um, but uh, that thing is 30 years old, and it was resurrected from the dead. It was in my parents' basement for 30 years, uh, and I had used it when I was a rocker. You say, you weren't a rocker. I said, yeah, I was. And one of, uh, one of my favorite groups had this song called Follow Your Heart. It, was, it became a pretty popular song. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And the lyrics were something like, follow your heart, the heart of rock and roll, live for today, forget about tomorrow. And I look back on that and say, that is one of the most evil, satanic songs that is out there in the rock world. Yes? No? Well, you know, you wouldn't think of that song first. This group was a very positive group, and I thought it was a positive message. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. And it sounds so good in the ears of the world. But, you know, people followed the heart of rock and roll. Jimi Hendrix followed the heart of rock and roll and died at 27. And there's a long list of rock stars who died at age 27 because they were following a heart of rock and roll. Follow your heart, a heart of rock and roll. But even if you take that phrase out, following your heart, it sounds inspirational and good, but it's the world's inspiration, and it can be a very dangerous thing because a heart unchecked, a heart unchecked can lead you into all kinds of trouble. I'll tell you something else about myself. Before I met Jennifer, long before I was dating a girl, and uh, man, everybody was telling me this is wrong. People were telling me she's trouble, and uh, I wasn't listening because my heart was like, I finally got someone who's interested in me. And I didn't want to be alone. And, and I was ready to marry this girl 
as soon as I got a job, which I didn't have at the time, and that was our big thing, as soon as I get a job, we're going to get married. And people were telling me, I don't. there were so many red flags, and I saw them too, but my mind would not go with that. My mind wanted to follow my heart. And it wasn't until I received a pop on the jaw by her dad that I came to my senses and said, okay, something's wrong here. And thank God for that pop on the jaw. That's a, that's a different story for another time. But her dad hit me. <laughs> and, uh, well, you'll just have to ask me about it sometime. But it got knocked me into some sense because I was following my heart and my heart was wrong. And lives are wrecked when they follow their hearts because you can be, this is what's happened with a lot of pastors have fallen into sin and scandal and sexual immorality, anything like that. And you can be in a state where your mind is saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, but your heart is saying, full steam ahead. So, what does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't tell us to follow our heart, but instructs us in Pro Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. First thing to note here is that God is interested in life. Like I said, he doesn't want just religion. He doesn't want duty. He wants a relationship. We can just praise the Lord for his goodness in this verse right there. With he's, he's concerned about our life. He wants us to have life. Jesus came that we might have life. And eternal life is all about a quality of life in relationship with God. So how is your relationship with him? We all could do better, but... Some people aren't experiencing everything they want to experience, all the life that God has. And we'd have to say, how is your heart? Um, you know that, did I go out? You, can you hear me? I'm good, okay. You know that there's a lot of concern for the heart in the natural world, right? People are, are uh, watching their diets. They want to be heart-healthy diets. They exercise, and uh, they're, they're being very cautious. A lot of people uh, have to monitor their blood pressure. We had a great time once on a New Year's Eve. We had a bunch of us in China, older folks like us. We were gathered around one night on a New Year's Eve having great fellowship, and there was a heart uh, blood pressure monitor on the coffee table, and someone came up with the idea and said, let's see who has the best blood pressure. And, man, can I tell you, we are a fun group. And there's nothing like a party and just having a contest about measuring who's got the best blood pressure, right? <laughs> so, you know, hey, I'm going to bring the badminton set. Who's going to bring the blood pressure monitor? You want to party with us now. Okay, so and they're saying, I liked you better when you were a rocker. Uh, but we did that, and it was kind of funny. But, we, you know, we're concerned about that. People are concerned about their physical hearts, and they should be. But a lot of people don't give any... Uh, attention to their spiritual heart and we have a spiritual heart and the spiritual heart what is it it's the core of your personality it's the core of your being your desires your emotions your spiritual heart drives your will it's what drives your will and the heart is different from the head okay the head will process your thoughts your feelings your emotions but the heart, your spiritual heart, will reject or embrace, endorse those thoughts, feelings, or emotions. 
So the, the heart is really kind of the engine that will drive based on what you're processing through your head. Now you can have, uh, you know, your heart can be in a direction like I said, but your head is in a different place and that's what we need to keep our hearts with all diligence. And there's a difference between the head and the heart. You know that because some people lose, can lose their minds or they can lose their hearts. What happens when you lose your mind? You know, they said, Paul, you're mad. You've lost your mind. He wasn't. But, you know, we can still have life happening if, if our, we feel like we're going crazy. We've all lost our minds at one point or another, but we kept going, right? Hopefully. We didn't break down. But if you lose your heart in something, that is a dangerous place to be because that's where your engine has stopped. And if you don't watch your car engine, if you're not taking care of the oil and things, eventually that engine's going to die. And the same thing spiritually. If we don't keep the oil of the Holy Spirit and the word of truth working in our hearts, we may, we may end up tired out and not where we want to be. So as much as the world and people examine their natural hearts, it does us good as Christians to be examining where is our heart spiritually. And as there's lots of heart disease out there, heart disease is rampant in the world. It's one of the number one killers uh, of people in the world. But as rampant as that is, there is all kinds of spiritual heart disease. There, there are people with hearts that are just astray from God. And I've told you before, but it bears repeating, when I got saved, I witnessed to my buddy, I witnessed a lot of friends, and I saw some of them respond, some of them ignored me, but this one guy would just keep coming up with all these objections and intellectual problems about the Bible and things about the Lord. And so I got into things like the case for Christ. That wasn't around at the time, the case for Christ, but uh, other apologetic stuff, and I came up with all the answers I could give, and I was pretty satisfied with these answers, and I'd give him the answer to shoot down his objections, and he'd just say, no, he wouldn't accept them. And I finally said to him, if, if Jesus walked in the room right now, would you believe and follow him? And he said, no, I wouldn't. I said, well, the problem is your heart. It's not your head. There is plenty of scholarship, evidence, there's there's all kinds of reasonable uh, evidence to warrant faith in God. The problem isn't the intellect usually, although people can be helped. I was helped by the intellectual answers, but really the problem is the heart. So you're saying, well, I've got a heart. I'm not like your buddy back then. I've got a heart for the Lord, but are you experiencing everything the Lord has for you? Are you experiencing the victory right now in the circumstances? Are you experiencing peace? Are you experiencing the power of God in your life. A heart on fire for God will experience greater things for the Lord. It will make all the difference in our lives. And yet there are so many in the church, and I'm not speaking directly here, I'm just saying in general, there are so many people who, in the church who have hearts that are very cold towards the Lord. And we've got to spiritually examine our hearts. Some people's hearts are very warm and hot towards theology or you know, maybe even you can even have a heart that wants to master the word, but your heart is not hot towards the personal relationship with God, the love for God, where we can actually sing, you're a good, good father, with emotions and passions coming out of us, and not just because we're supposed to sing this stuff. And I, I you know, we got to check ourselves. I check myself because I'm not always there either. But this is what God is after, and this is why he instructs us to keep our hearts with all diligence. We, there, there is good news in this passage, because the good news is you can do something 
about your heart. And a heart on fire is going to make a difference in your spiritual walk, in your life, in, every, in your mission, in your ministry. And you say, well, there's nothing I could do. There's something we can do. And that's what we're talking about today. I remember hearing a sermon on uh, Proverbs 23, 26. I, this preacher, this older guy came up and he, he was telling about when he preached his first sermon. He was going to preach on Proverbs 23, 26, which said, give me your heart. And he said he preached his heart out. He preached with passion and he was pleading with his congregation, give me your heart. The Lord wants your heart. Just give him your heart. And he felt like he had done such a great job after he preached that message. And as he stepped down, the service was over. One of the elders took him in the back. He said, son, let me tell you something. You preached, a good you preached with passion. You preached with heart even. But let me tell you something. People can't give their hearts to God. They can't. It's all of God. And, he, and I thought, oh, goodness, this is the point where he's going to say, but I rejected that. Instead, he said, you know what? He was right. Well, why preach then? Well, why even bother coming to church? If you can't do something about your heart, what's this mean? Keep your heart with all diligence. It's true that God has to do a part. We're going to consider that. God has to do something that you can't do. But God instructs us to do something in the process. And that is in the keeping. So, Proverbs 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, and out of it spring the issues of life. Keep, the Hebrew is guard your heart, protect your heart, maintain your heart, observe your heart. Okay, these are things that we can do. We, it's like keeping a garden. How many of you keep a garden? You, you're paying attention to the garden. You're paying attention... We need to start paying attention to our hearts. What are we sowing into the garden of our hearts? What, what are we uh, guarding it from? Are we guarding it? Are we just letting it carry us away loosely, running like the rest of the world? And it says, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, issues, issues, of course, do not mean like magazine issues or the issues of the day or certain matters, but the issues of life, issues here means a springing forth or output. So in other words, your heart produces your life experience. If you are having a heart filled with fear, your life experience, your output is going to be insecurity. If you have a heart full of offense, you're offended by things and always being critical and things like that, your heart is going to be flowing out with anger or cynical cynicism or, or something like that. If your heart is full of materialism and the way of the world and the things that are going on, and more full of that, you're going to have anxiety come out or you're going to have covet, uh, uh, covetousness come out, not having everything, focusing on what you don't have and, and not what you have. There are things that we load our hearts with or we don't understand that we can keep things out of our heart and it produces the issues of life, what we're experiencing. In contrast to what I just said, a heart full of God is going to have a life of love, joy, peace, righteousness, because we're going to feel like God is here. God dwells in our hearts by faith, it says Ephesians chapter 3. 
So uh, in Psalm 108, verse 1, you can see a contrast. The psalmist says, oh God, my heart is steadfast and it's fixed, it's established. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Here is a heart that is steadfast on God, full of God, and the output, the issuing forth is worship, is worship. Praise, I will give praise in, in sing, even with my glory. And Psalm 112, verse 7 says that he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Notice it's, it's because of where the heart is. It's because of where the heart is that praise and worship comes out. It's because this heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord, that there's no fear. He's not afraid of evil tidings. Boy, how many times have uh, we heard some bad news and the fear just starts to hit. Boom! It's like, what do I do? What do I do? Well, if our hearts were in a place where we were keeping our heart with all diligence, we would, we would have an advantage. We'd have an advantage where we could say, I will not be afraid because I'm trusting in the Lord here. But most people unwittingly allow fear, stress, offense, anxiety, depression, all these things free access to the heart. They don't keep their heart with all diligence. And then they become governed by a darkened heart. When instead, I believe you can actually govern your heart. I said the song was follow your heart. We need to change the lyrics to govern your heart. Govern your heart because God can do something with a heart that is kept and turned to him. Let me give you a little bit of example. It says requires diligence. It requires diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. The Amplified Version of the Bible says vigilance. Vigilance. And I'm not talking about being, you know, so on edge that I've got to be concerned about everything that's going on that I've got to watch what goes into my heart. But the truth is, this world is a battlefield. It's not a playground, as many of us want to think it is. And we're always trying to get it to make us feel good and do something. But it's actually a battlefield. And there are all kinds of things that are going after our hearts. And they can, they can come in without us being either aware or knowing. And they'll produce issues of life in us that we don't want. But with vigilance, we can be on the alert. We can be like the guard. We are on a battlefield. A guard that stands duty is going to be alert. And it's not going to be a... Uh, a, a a groaning responsibility, you need to look at it as like you've got to guard your treasure. You've got to, where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? Well, you've got to guard your treasure. You've got something. You've got the peace of God. You've got the love of God. You've got the fruit of the Spirit inside of you, but it doesn't always come out. But you, it's because of what we allow coming in. Sometimes we don't fan the flames of our hearts. That helps. But also, we allow the water to douse whatever flames might be in there for the Lord. So we've got to be careful about what we're allowing into our hearts. And there are spiritual predators out there, spiritual thieves. There are always temptations to fear, to give in to ungodly entertainment, to give in to unbelief, to give in to materialism, to give in to doubt. They're always trying to seek inroads into our heart, but vigilance will keep them out. When we were in China, we used to help these countryside schools get new school buildings and we'd have churches contribute money to them and thousands of dollars thousands of dollars but in china at that time 
He only had small bills, small denominations. They wouldn't take checks. They wouldn't take credit cards. We'd have to have the money wired to the bank, and then we'd have to pull out all the money in cash. So we would be bringing thousands of dollars to the countryside in these remote villages in these bags. And you can bet when we were on the bus, we'd have those bags tightly gripped under our arms. Nobody knew what was in the bags, hopefully, but we knew what was in the bags, and we were alert. We were vigilant. We were being diligent to make sure we did not lose these bags, right? And so, uh, you know, it's the same thing. We have treasures in earthen vessel. We have what the Lord has given. He's given us his word. He's given us his peace. He's given us his, his spirit, and we need to put that in our hearts, but all the time we need to guard against the thieves that want to steal our peace, steal our love, steal our joy. And if we can recognize that there are predators out there, thieves out there, we will be vigilant and we'll say, I'm not going to allow that thought to, to land. Birds can fly over your head with thoughts of temptations and fears and threats. And you can't control that, but you can control whether you're going to make a nest and let them land there diligence will say i'm going to keep my heart i'm going to shoo those things away when i realize that there's something coming after me i'm going to hold on to my bag more fiercely and say away with you right we used to sleep on these sleeper buses oh they stunk people were sweating and took off their shoes and they lie on these cots on these sleeper buses overnight and we used to put the money underneath our pillow our little thin mint pillow things that they had on the bus and and uh, just made sure that we're guarding these things. And it's like, like I said, it's a treasure. We want to guard the treasure of what the Lord's given us. So that's the negative side of keeping your heart. Now, how about the positive side? Because we want the positive. We want to keep out the bad. But how can we keep our hearts, keep our gardens in such a way that it produces fruit? That it produces the love, the joy, the peace, and the power of God? How do we do this? So, like I said, you can't change your heart but you can turn, you can direct it, all right? Um, you have a part, and the Lord has a part. Problem is, a lot of people w might teach that you can't do anything, and it's all on the Lord, and you just have to beg and plead the Lord, but you do have a part. You can set the thermostat. You can't bring the air conditioning on with your power, but you can set the thermostat, and then the power from another source brings it on. You can set the thermostat of where you want your heart to be, and then God will bring the power into your life. God will do the change. God will bring it. But you have to, the heart is what drives the will, so you need to be willing to change. Well, I'm not willing to, to change. I can't seem to fix that. You can be willing to be made willing. God can make you willing. It all takes a turn. No matter how much you can, do what you can. If you can't do it all, you say, I'm willing to do it all. But you have to turn. And we have some scriptural helps to show us uh, how you can do this. Or, or to back up what I'm saying at least, 2 Corinthians 3, 15 to 16. It says that even unto this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart talking about the Jews. And nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So they're reading Moses. They're reading, but they're not getting it. They can't see Jesus because they are, are 
They're staunch. They're set. They're, they're stuck. But they're reading the right stuff. But he says, when one turns to the Lord, there, see, that's what I said before. You can have a heart for things religious. You can have a heart for doing good even, for ministry even, but your heart hasn't turned to the Lord. You're not in this love relationship with the Lord where he's affecting you, melting your heart, and, and making you do things out of a motivation of love. And it's telling here, but it says, when they turn to the Lord, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So what happened when Moses came down from the mount? Because it talks about this before this verse in 2 Corinthians 3. When Moses came down from the mount, he was full of the glory of the Lord. His face was shining so bright, he had to wear a veil because they couldn't handle the light that was shining off of his face. And then Paul goes on to say, but when they read the law of Moses, now there's a veil. They can't see the light, the glory, the treasure of the word. They can't see the light, the glory, the treasure of Jesus. You know Jesus is good. You know Jesus is awesome. You know Jesus is glorious, but you can't seem to receive the light from that. Maybe your heart needs some spiritual laser light therapy. Turn. You turn to the Lord, and then the veil is taken away. What's it going to take to turn to the Lord? Well, I turned and nothing happened. It's a direction of your heart. You direct your heart. You're keeping your garden. A garden doesn't spring up overnight. You tend to it, do you not? And you don't go out the minute you plant something and say, it didn't work, nothing's planted there. But you are keeping it. You're keeping a diligence over your garden, and eventually the fruit comes out. And this is what it means to turn your heart towards the Lord. I'm going to be in that direction, and God can do it. We can see that you have a part, he has a part. And this is how it works if we look at some two scriptures from Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 18.31, this is an interesting verse. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? That's the New King James Version. Uh, the King James Version says, it doesn't say get yourselves a new heart and new spirit. It says make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. I didn't think we could do anything about our hearts. Only God can change our hearts. But here it's implying that you can do something to get this new heart, to get a new spirit. And what is it they're saying? I, it appears to be that you've cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. And this is an interesting th thing to think about, is that it's not saying to stop sinning here. I mean, that's included in it. It's not saying to stop sinning, but uh, definitely, if you're turning your heart, you want to stop sinning. And that's included in this. But what it's saying, it's saying, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. Everything about you, your past, cast it away. All the wrong you've done. Cast it away. But I can't. I'm just so guilty. Cast it away. But I can never forgive myself. Cast it away and get a new heart and a new spirit. You can. Be, this is the good news of the gospel. You can be born again. You can be a new creation. You're old. Behold, all things have passed away. All things are made new in Christ Jesus. And you have to cast away your past. And some people can never do that. They have such a hard time. They feel like they've got to pay for their past. They've got to make amends for their past. They've got to beat themselves up forever and somehow make themselves in a better place where God will finally take them and accept them. 
doesn't work that way. You'll never, be, you'll never be satisfied with cleaning up yourself or paying or making good. Get a new heart. Make yourself a new heart. Just say, I'm done with the old. The past is gone. That's not relevant anymore. And God will bring you into a place where you're experiencing his new heart, new spirit. And this is what we see in Ezekiel 36, 26. This is God's part. Your part is to get you this and to cast away the past, to stop sinning too. I didn't say go on sinning, but cast that away. And then God's part, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is God's work. This is God's part. And this verse, along with some others, uh, are quoted as part of the new covenant. We have a new covenant. In Israel, they didn't have the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus hadn't been resurrected yet. And the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. But because of those things that I just said, we are living in a different age, a different covenant, a new covenant in which we can totally expect God to give us a heart of flesh uh, not a heart of stone. We can totally expect God, it's his work, that he will put a new spirit within us. But we have to desire that. We have to set the thermostat for that. Right? How many people in the church are really seeking more from the Lord? You know, it makes me think of the old vineyard days when they had those things happening in the Toronto vineyard, and their cry was, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. And some people criticized it and said, as if he hasn't done enough. Well, that's just twisting something and trying to be nitpicky. Of course he's done enough. He's done everything. If he never gave us anything else, he's done it all by giving us his son. If we never experienced anything else, he's given us all by what his son has purchased for us and what we had to look forward in the age to come. But God is better and gooder, gooder to us. Excuse my bad grammar. But he's good, and he's gooder to us in that he doesn't just eliminate the guilt of the past, and give us a hope for future. He wants us to experience him, him more and more. More, Lord. More, Lord. And that's what a relationship is all about. We grow in relationships with people, hopefully, we don't, or otherwise the, the relationship peters out and it's, it's done. But God wants us to be all in with him. Have you set your thermostat for that? Again, you have a part, God has a part. Some people are confused about the, the uh, disturbing verses in Exodus where it says God has hardened mo uh, Pharaoh's heart. You know, several verses say that God hardened his heart. Well, if God hardened his heart, what, what hope is there? God's the one controlling everything. But you, if you read the book of Exodus, you'll read that there are several verses that talk about Pharaoh hardened his heart. You see, Pharaoh set his thermostat, and in judgment, God brought that power in and did that work and hardened his heart. God said, I can use that thermostat setting to accomplish my purposes for deliverance for Israel. But it's not like God just says, well, I'm going to harden this person's heart, and I'm going to give this person a, a wonderful heart, a new spirit. You can be a super saint if you want to, if you set the thermostat, if you direct your heart. You can't do it out of your own power, but your setting of that Direction, God will honor and bless, and he will bring that into your life. And it's supernatural. It's supernatural. 
And it's supernatural is not just a TV show by Sid Roth on TBN. God does a supernatural work. All of us have experienced something supernatural of the Lord if you've been born again. God has put something in your heart. But you know what? There's a world out there that doesn't want to have anything to do with the church, is through with looking to things Christian, but they're all about the supernatural. You go to that bookstore down the road, I saw three different sections in the same bookstore dedicated to the occult. There's the occult section. Oh, do that. Go away from that. But then it's in another spot in the bookstore. And then it's in another spot in the bookstore. And I've and it seems to be the market. People are hungry for the supernatural. That's why they pay money to see all these weird movies about the supernatural. And here we are, people who have been touched supernaturally by God, and it's God's work that happens in our lives, but we're not seeing these supernatural things happen. If we had supernatural things going on in our lives, encounters with God, answers to prayer, all that, we wouldn't have problem getting people in the doors. They'd say, God is here. And I know God is here because his people are here, but there is a presence of God, a power of God that we are not experiencing. And I'm, I would fear that most people aren't that concerned about it. In the church in general, how many churches are in the same situation? Oh, how are we going to make the ends meet? How are we going to get people in here and things like that? Where's the power of God? Okay, well, now you're hurting my feelings. We don't have, well, be passionate about it. We need to be passionate about the power of God. I have been passionate about the power of God. I've not always seen that power of God when I've wanted to. I have seen it at some times. I believe you'll see it more than you ever did before if you develop that passion and get your heart in that place where I'm hungry and I'm desiring. I'm setting that thermostat and I'm put, keeping my heart in a place where it can receive because a heart on fire for the Lord will experience more of that passion and power of God. But in order to get heat, you have to fan the flames. And uh, a lot of people won't even fan the flames. This is a good group. I believe a lot of people here try to fan the flames. You're in Bible study. You read Christian books. I don't know if you do or not. Some of you do. But that's a good way to fan the flames. But here's the thing. You can fan the flames, but at the same time, you can be dousing those flames with the water of the world because you're not keeping your heart with all diligence. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll pray and you'll say some wonderful things in prayer and then you'll start speaking like the world afterwards and canceling out those prayers with unbelief. Or you'll give yourselves over to the news, the doom and gloom, and, and you, you believe Jesus is returning. You believe that Jesus can work right now as he's saying yesterday, today, and forever, but you're, you're giving your heart more to these other things. How much time do you spend directing your heart to the Lord. And, I, and it's not to say this condemningly. We all need diversions. We all need to do things. But where is the proportion? I could get on people and say, you know, you go and watch unholy things that pollute your mind. It's not going to send you to hell. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, eternally, but it will hurt because it numbs you spiritually. It hardens your heart. If you're listening to things that constantly speak unbelief or the way of the world, it conditions your heart. And even though you love the Lord, you're feeding it the wrong thing. The, the, you're not putting the fertilizer in the garden. You're putting the, the weed stuff in the garden. 
you still love me? Okay. But even, even like wholesome, let's say wholesome things. I, I'll just tell you, I read a lot. And if you want a good Christian book, I can recommend some good Christian books. But that takes care of two birds with one stone. You're fanning the flames by reading something encouraging, and you're keeping the water out that would douse the flames. You're not watching TV or reading a, a romance novel or something like that. And I'm not saying it's wrong to watch TV or read a romance novel if it's clean. Um, you know, because definitely unclean things will affect your heart. You might say, I can handle it. Well, yeah, you might not sink and, and be down, but you're not going to rise up because it's, it's not letting you be spiritually sensitive to the holy, the pure, the good. And that's where the treasure is. But it's easier to, to go with the other stuff. But even, even uh, watching good things like Hallmark films and Andy Griffith, and, and uh, that's not going to poison you. And I'll watch those big, I won't watch a Hallmark. Well, I will if Jennifer wants me to. But, uh, but the proportion of it, because if that's all I'm doing, and, you know, Annie Griffith's good, clean, fun, if that's all I'm doing all the time, it's, it's taking away from what I could be setting the thermostat of my heart, and I could be developing and keeping it so that the garden will produce. And if I want to see the things of God, uh, you know, he loves me whether I do that or not. If you want to watch those things all the time, you're still loved. But your experience of the love is what I'm trying to say here. You're not going to make God angry. He took his anger out on Jesus on the cross. And he loves you. And he knows you. And he, he loves you in spite of you, who you are and who I am. That's the good news. But do we want to experience his goodness? Do we want to love him more? That's where we need to take a little intention and diligence in how do we make our garden grow. And so all this I'm saying is not to condemn, not to say you got to turn off your TVs and quit reading anything that's not Christian. Please don't say, take that. Spiritual life. Do you have a passion for the supernatural? Do you want to see miracles? Do you want to see have more of a residing peace? Do you want to have more of a love coming forth? I do. And that's why it talks about going for the gold. Faith requires focus. And where are we focusing? And again, you could be focused on seemingly good things, but your heart is not in a devotional focus to the Lord. Remember 9-11, September 11, 2001. Some of you remember that. Most of you here. Some people are a little bit younger. Um, but that was a scary time. And was anybody afraid in that time or nervous or concerned? Well, I was. And I was going through a difficult thing because it shook me. And then I'd watch the news, and they'd talk about the anthrax that was being sent in the mail. And we'd all turn like ghosts watching the news and things like that. And I found myself anxious not at peace, and I would be praying and saying, Lord, why am I feeling anxious and not at peace? I thought I was supposed to be at peace because I know you. I know all this is, is, I know you're greater than all this. I knew it all in my head, but my heart was not in a position, it was not endorsing that in my head. And at the time, I was involved with some theological debates on emails I was involved with witnessing to someone. I was trying to witness to, 
to somebody and was coming up with the apologetic stuff like that. And, and so I was in the Word. I was going through the Bible, and I was getting answers for my theological debates. I was getting answers to share with the person I was trying to witness and win the, to the Lord and things. So I was in the a preacher, Charles Spurgeon. I had been involved in all this theological stuff, but somehow I got to this, this sermon. It was called Asleep on the Pillow. So I don't know all of them, but the thing about them is that they're very devotional in which they try to affect your heart. It's not just a theological thing it's a devotional thing and i don't agree with everything spurgeon and i and who, who agrees with everything anybody right and i'm not trying to endorse him or anything but what happened with this sermon is the lord ministered to my heart and i found myself back in the word again in a devotional sense whereas i had been in the word and it was all i gotta learn the word i gotta have answers i gotta i gotta have my memory verse things like that all that but here this sermon just redirected my heart and said, let's get back into the devotional thing. And when I got into that place, everything got better. I was no longer a nervous wreck. I had the peace of God. I had the strength of God. And so this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes we have, if we, we, we've got to spiritually examine ourselves. If you're sick, if you're weak and fatigued, you go to the doctor. And he checks your blood pressure, listens to your heart and everything tries to find out and then, oh you need some medication for your heart whatever same thing spiritually if you're not experiencing the goodness the love the joy the peace of god you need a heart exam spiritual heart examination and there are things you can do to bring your your heart back into line like i said your heart's a garden your faith must be the focus it, you must have focus you you guard with diligence not focusing on the things of the world, not having a focus. You deal with them, yes. You let them come and go, yes. But you don't let them dominate. You don't focus. Your direction, your passion is the things of the Lord. This is your garden. And in your garden, there are going to be birds that try to steal your crops. So you need to put up a scarecrow. And in your spiritual garden, your scarecrow is the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is where God showed his love for you. The cross is, of Christ is where... God defeated all the works of the enemy. It's the place where you put yourself with Jesus and say, I'm not, no longer the same person I was, but I'm a new creation. You keep that cross in your heart. Know Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that will scare away the crows and the birds that are trying to steal the crops of his joy and the fruit of the Spirit that he wants to see explode in us. God is the one who wants to see extravagance. He wants to see his life extravagantly coming out in us. He wants to see us doing his works. He wants to see us experiencing his power. But are we passionate for it? So, spiritual heart check. Ask yourself, where is my heart? And where do I want it to be? Will you set the thermostat? And set it towards love because Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, rooted and grounded in love. To 
that he may dwell, not just come and visit, but dwell, stay. And what a great uh, residence. <laughs> please stay, please stay. Don't leave, don't leave. He will dwell by faith. Your faith is where your focus is, and it's rooted and grounded in love. It's all about love. Everything I'm talking about may mean diligence and vigilance, but it's because of love. Keep yourself in the love of God and let that touch your heart. His part, do your part. Amen. Father, we thank you for your power, for the change that you bring. We thank you because it's out of our control there. We can't do it, but we can direct our petitions to you. We can direct our heart to you. We ask you to bring forth the life and the abundance and the goodness that your name may be glorified in our lives and that we may bring your glory and the encounter of God to others. Lord, empower us, quicken us, and help us, Lord, to move forward in Jesus' name. Amen.